Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text hope NY in New York. What do you love about college football? What, what, what about this game makes it so special to you? Well, today on Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about that. We got some more to talk about, as a matter of fact, when it comes to the future of college football, the future of the college football playoff. As ESPN and the college football playoff have inked a new deal somewhere in the billions over the next six years. So we'll give you our thoughts on that. Welcome to the Hard Count. It's February 14th, 2024, the last one on the face of the planet. So we're going to make it a great one. Happy Valentine's Day to you and yours. If you have a, a loved one that is not yet watching the show, would encourage them to get dialed in because we have a ton to jump into. Like I just mentioned, we're going to talk about the extension between ESPN and the college football playoff and their whole expanded deal they're going to do here in the future. Uh, we got some intriguing Big Ten win totals I want us to unpack together. We talked about the SEC yesterday. Tell you what, man, this new Big Ten, got some new, uh, some new members in there. And uh, Washington, their number will surprise you a bit, as will USC's. Oregon, no, look now, they are tied for the highest total in the conference along with Ohio State. Got one of you hitting me up and saying, hey, Colorado, they have too much hype. They have too much hype, and guess what? You're feeding the hype, J.D. You and that whole media operation, that whole media machine, you're feeding into that. Well, we got some thoughts on that. We have a response to that, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll answer that one in a very uh, matter-of-fact fashion. Also, Alabama, time of us being live, it looks like that is not yet finalized, but they are trending towards hiring their offensive coordinator. Nick Sheridan is the name. He is the tight ends coach for Kalen DeBoer. Previously at Washington, came over with him to Alabama. Got some thoughts on this one as well. So a lot to unpack here. We got a ton of jumps here. We got hard count meetings a little bit later in the show going to College Station. We're glad to have you here. We can't waste too much more time. Make sure you're subscribed. 
We talk about it a lot, preface it every show with it. This is one supposed to be a mental vacation for whoever watching this show. Whether you're at work, whether you're doing summer school, or I guess you're not summer school, uh, I guess you're back to school after winter break. We're all out of sorts. Your bottom line, whatever you got going on, this is a spot for you to just kind of unpack, let down, unwind. We'll talk some college football. Glad to have you here. Uh, also, make sure to subscribe while you do that. All right, let's get right to it now. ESPN and the college football playoff have agreed to an extension as we move into the expanded playoff era of six years, $7.8 billion. That is billion with a B. Probably a bolded font B. College football overall is just fine. Like there, there's a lot of conversation, I think, over the course of the last year or so around college football and the transfer portal and NIL and is you know conference realignment killing the sport. Like, look at this right here. College football is fine. Okay, now I want us to be clear. This is a result of the intrigue and the draw that college football is attracting. Okay, this is not necessarily correlated to health. Is there some messy things within college football? Is the portal perfect? Are we going to have to tinker with that calendar a little bit here in the near future? Is NIL 100% what it looks like right now? Going like like, to look like what it is in the future? No, we're still kind of cleaning some things up. We're still putting things together, how they're going to be in the long term. But overall, like, yeah, the table might be a little bit messy in college football, but it's still a penthouse suite. It's still a five-star meal that we got all over the table and some linen uh, tablecloth. So we're in good shape there. Again, this extension is a byproduct of intrigue. Now, let's not confuse intrigue and money with health of the sport. All right, interest comes from the people that care about the sport. Right? Again, so the money is not about the health of the sport. It's about the intrigue of the sport. And the reason why there's interest is because the fall Saturdays, that we currently have a part of this whole thing, that the fall Saturdays we enjoy and that, that we cherish, that we love about college football, that is the core of this whole thing. That's driving the bus. That's driving all of this money that we currently have. All right. So when, I, when we talk about you know, extensions and media deals and all that, it's always a little bit funny to me because, again, we're not seeing any of that money as college football fans. Like It's cool to know that the, the train is still on the tracks and that we're still going full speed ahead. But when it comes to how this actually impacts us as college football fans, the answer is not a whole lot. But I want us to, uh, well, this was a good opportunity for us to kind of circle up together as a college football public and uh, kind of just have a, have, a, have a clear conversation about things here. Um, I provide a little bit of a, a word of caution here when it comes to what this sport looks like in the future. Like, how much money is enough money? Ever in the history of the sport, how much money is enough money? The answer is never enough money. So my, my concern is now, you see this expanded playoff, you see more money going to it, you see the billions of dollars. Well, I think there's going to be some people that come out of the woodwork and say, well, hey, we, we expanded the playoff, we made more money. Who's to say we shouldn't expand the playoff a little bit more? Who's to say we, we, we shouldn't make it a, a 24-team playoff, a 16-team playoff, I mean, so on and so forth, because obviously you see more inventory, you see more of a product, you see potentially some more revenue, right? And more money is always a good thing, right? Not necessarily. Because the reason why we have this deal in place right now, the reason why you see that number that has a B next to it, the reason why you have that is because of the fact that college football, what makes it special, is still intact, which is, of course, the regular season. The fact that fall Saturdays mean as much as they do to all of us. And the reason why that regular season is so special 
is what makes the college football playoff overall, I think, have some intrigue and some draw to it. Okay, so the college football playoff is standing on the shoulders of the regular season. Now, the argument that I know we're going to get from a lot of people is, well, you know, every other sport, they have a, they have a big playoff. They have double-digit teams. They have, they have 16 teams. Look at March Madness. They have a 64-team play. And I just, that's the one thing that kind of makes me cringe when it comes to March Madness. I digress. I don't want college football, you don't want college football to be like every other sport. College football is great because it's its own sport. College football is great because it's not the NFL. It's not the NBA. And so while I understand the thought behind it, I understand where they're coming from, just understand like that, that's not the direction we want to go. College football is great because it has the best regular season known to mankind. And to take it a step further, there's some folks that are going to come at you and say, well, you're asking for less meaningful football games? You're asking for less big-time playoff games? No, what I'm asking for is for us to keep the best regular season how it is. Actually, to flip it the other way, I'm asking for more meaningful games, except I want those meaningful games played from September till the end of November. That's the meaningful games. That 12-week stretch of the regular season, that's what I want to mean the most as possible. All right, so when you look at the college football playoff, the more you expand the field, the larger that playoff gets, the less the regular season ends up meaning from game to game. So we're not asking for less meaningful football. We're not asking for a watered-down product. We're asking for us to keep the main thing that has brought this sport to where it is right now to stay intact and to stay special. All right, so while we're talking about this extension and all this, like overall, this is, I believe, a good thing. You got probably the, the best network up there with Fox that's carrying this sport going forward. Like It's going to be a good thing, but let's protect the natural resource that is the regular season as much as possible. All right, let's, let's not put a mall where Yosemite is. People come to Yosemite because of the natural beauty. All right, people come to Yosemite because they just love what it's always been. Now, if you put a mall in the middle of that thing, would you make a lot of money? Absolutely. It'd be great. But that doesn't mean it's the best idea for the long term. Because the people that really love Yosemite, the people that really love college football, they've shown up there year after year because they love what it is at the core. They, they love what they've always enjoyed about it. So, Long term, this is a good thing, but let's not confuse money for health. The money here is coming from the intrigue that the regular season, I believe, has generated here over the course of the last few years. Over the course of, I guess, college football history, if we're going to keep it a buck. Hey, appreciate everybody dialed in live. Make sure you have liked the video, all right? Thumbs up button under the screen. Make sure you've liked it, and we'll keep a good thing going. We got a lot to jump into when it comes to these preseason win totals. Did the SEC yesterday. We'll probably get into the ACC tomorrow. But right now, let's go to the Big Ten. Because you look at this new Big Ten conference, and there's, a, there's some, some new logos in this mix that we didn't see before. USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon. Don't look now, but Oregon and Ohio State have the two highest win totals in the preseason. So let's start with Ohio State before we get to Oregon. Ohio State, their number is 10 and a half wins, the over-under there. Just so we're on the same page here, the way this works, if they win 11 games and you bet the over, you make some money. If you bet nine, or if you bet the under and they, and they win nine games, you make some money. Obviously, that's kind of how this whole thing works. But this 10 and a half number, obviously, you can't win half a game. Vegas is daring you to bet that they go 2-1, Ohio State that is, in this stretch at Oregon, at Penn State, in that game against Michigan. The roster, I think, for Ohio State, they will walk out there outside of those three games, 
and have the advantage. Like, there's going to be a lot of games where Ohio State just rolls the ball out there and they say, we're Ohio State. That's it. Like, like, like that's, that's kind of how that game's going to go. Now, they have a top 10 defense coming back, and you add in the best player in the transfer portal, that is Caleb Downs. Here's my question for Ohio State and as it pertains to the future of their, uh, their, uh, their season in 2024. How much of an upgrade is Will Howard from Kyle McCord? Because I see a lot of people claiming, well, hey, Will Howard and Kyle McCord, kind of the same player, right? Kind of bring the same things to the table. I disagree with that in a very, very real sense. Like Kyle McCord, as efficient as he was at times for Ohio State, he's not nearly as mobile as Will Howard is. Kyle McCord hasn't played nearly as much football as Will Howard has. Also, you factor in the fact that uh, Will Howard's going to have, I think, a better situation in the future here than he would have showing up with Bill O'Brien with Chip Kelly. So all that's to say, Ohio State, if I had to pick today, I'd probably lean over there. But we'll give you our official pick here, and it gets closer to the the regular season, a little bit closer to August. Uh, Michigan, they're going to play Ohio State. Their win total, coming off of a national championship, is nine and a half wins. That's the over-under. Sharon Moore in year one, we're going to find out what his brand of Michigan football is. And you could look at that as, as a negative and say, okay, well, there's not a lot coming back from the season before. I think in a lot of ways, it gives you a pretty good trajectory for what the future is going to be at Michigan. It gives you a pretty good idea of what Sharon Moore and his team will be in the future at Michigan because they are 128th in returning production. Y'all, there's only 100 and, or 134 teams. Now, they could go 9-3, and three, could Michigan hit the under on their win total and still be the best 9-3 and three team in America and probably have a pretty strong case for the college football playoff. They play three of the top five teams ranked in the preseason. They have Texas, they have Oregon, and they're at Ohio State. All right, so they could drop every single one of those games, depending on how it looks. I think you have a pretty solid case if you're a Michigan fan to still maybe uh, be in that college football playoff. Now, just so we're all on the same page, this is not a third base scenario for Sharon Moore. This is not a born on third base, okay, Jim Harbaugh left you a Ferrari of, of a program. Like, no, that's, that's not the case here in Ann Arbor. There's a lot of pieces on this roster to have success with Mason Graham and Will Johnson and Colston Loveland, but let's not act like this is something that's ready-made for another national title run. If they end up making the college football playoff, they end up winning the Big Ten yet again, they will have earned every single piece of that. Just so we're all aligned there. Now, Nebraska, the Cornhuskers, we talked about them a little bit yesterday. Their win total is seven and a half wins. Now, anywhere even close to that, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of Nebraska fans would be encouraged to see that because it's, it's been a hot minute since we made a bowl game, right? That's kind of the, it's kind of the promised land we're looking for right here. But to, to win eight games, if they hit the over on seven and a half, I think the game that you, uh, you circle as the most difficult for Nebraska on the schedule is Ohio State. Besides that, besides that game, October 26th in Columbus, I don't know that I'm looking at the schedule for Nebraska and just saying, yep, lost there, yep, lost there. Now, that's not me predicting they go 11-1, and but I do think it's fair to say that you look at what Nebraska was last season, and to be clear, they went 5-7, and seven, didn't achieve what they wanted to last season. But to have five one-score losses and to bring back top three production in the country from that team a season ago and to potentially upgrade a quarterback. Got to imagine that's pretty exciting in Lincoln. Now, your expectations for Nebraska in 2024, those are 110% tied to what you expect of Dylan Raiola. 
Because we, we talk about Heinrich Harburg and, and who else is on that depth chart in Nebraska. I have a very difficult time believing that by the time we get to October, it's not going to be Dylan Raiola playing quarterback for you in Lincoln. Like, let's just be real. I mean, he is the guy that you are placing all of your hopes and dreams on long-term at Nebraska, and I think you're going to see a lot of that in 2024. The good news for Nebraska is you don't need Dylan Raiola to walk out there and just be a game-breaker. Like, you would like that if he came out there and was, you know, Big Ten freshman of the year and all those things. But, like, he doesn't need to be the dude throwing 30 touchdowns and three interceptions. If he goes for 15 touchdowns and five interceptions or, heck, 15 touchdowns and, and 10 interceptions, that's still an upgrade from what you had a season ago at the quarterback position. There was nobody on this depth chart a year ago that threw more touchdowns than picks. And they still were in position to win 10 games. Now, they won five, five won those one-score losses. But just so we're on the same page there, this, this cupboard is stocked. Now, the Big Ten does become a little bit more difficult. But let's look at Matt Rule and his trend from year one to year two. Year one to year two at Temple, four-win improvement. All right, in Temple, they were in a much worse position than Nebraska was at this point. Baylor, they were at ground zero. There, there were folks in Waco talking about the death penalty for Baylor. Five-win improvement from year one to year two. If Nebraska is on the lower end of his improvement from year one to year two, if they win three football games more than the season before, eight wins, it's hard to not be excited if you're in Lincoln. I think that's something that you would uh, be fired up about. I mean, again, I think you'd be excited for six to get to a bowl game, but eight wins does not seem uh, unrealistic. Again, a lot of that will have to do with who's playing quarterback and just full transparency. Right now, I'd have a hard time believing it's not Dylan Royal starting for you at some point during the season for the Cornhuskers. Now, Oregon, they are at 10.5 wins. Again, we told you before this segment, uh, they are tied for the most preseason uh, wins, over-under rather, with Ohio State. I think the conversation around them preseason is similar to Ohio State when it comes to what Vegas is daring you to do. They're asking you, okay, if you're an Oregon fan, do you believe, or if you're betting the, the over on Oregon, do you believe they can split Ohio State in the game at Michigan? Because I think the good news if you're Oregon, they're already built like a Big Ten team. Like we're talking about USC and can they get better in the trenches. We're talking about Washington and what they're going to look like uh, you know, long-term on the line of scrimmage. I think, Michi- I think Oregon is, is already built to stack up with a team like Michigan, like Ohio State, heck, like an Iowa I think Oregon already has that on the line of scrimmage defensively, at least. They bring back 70% of the production from a year ago on the defensive side of the football. And the thing that I love, they already have a cool hand at quarterback. Like Dylan Gabriel played a lot of football going into his sixth year playing college football in his third school. He's not going to walk into a lot of situations and feel overwhelmed. He already played in Red River, one of the most intense rivalries in all of college football. He's been there. He's done that. Like, don't get it twisted. This will be a different challenge for him at Oregon. But I don't think he's going to see a lot of things as the quarterback for the Ducks that he hasn't already seen before at different stops throughout his career. So I'm very, very bullish on, uh, on Oregon. I think they're going to be a force. I'd have a hard time seeing them not in that college football playoff mix at the very least. Now, just so we're on the same page, uh, I think you could see as many as three to four teams from the Big Ten in this college football playoff. Like, that's how strong I think this conference is. Now, will one of those teams be USC? Based on this win total of seven and a half wins, that would be surprising. Uh, Vegas, to me, with this number, they're accounting for a couple of things. One, no more Caleb Williams. Two, a more difficult conference schedule. Pretty straightforward there. They went seven and five last year to USC, and that was with the former Heisman Trophy winner of Caleb Williams. Can you blame Las Vegas here? 
can you, I mean, like, like, are we, is this an unrealistic thing to say for Vegas that they're putting them at, at seven and a half over under? Uh, they play four of the top 15 preseason teams. They have LSU in Vegas to start the year. They're at Michigan. They got Penn State. They got Notre Dame. Everyone and their mama is watching what USC does in the trenches on defense. Because you move into a line of scrimmage league, you kind of expect USC to have a, a tough time if they show up with that same effort they did a season ago. But there's a great book that I love by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way. The Obstacle is the Way. And essentially, the book just talks about this principle that whatever your issue is, whatever your deficiencies are, it's unfortunate, but you can take those deficiencies and turn them into a positive. I think that could be USC here. Because you want to change the narrative around, oh, well, USC, they're soft. They don't play defensive football. They're not good in the line of scrimmage. Go win 10 games in a line of scrimmage league that is the Big Ten your first year there. That'll change the way that people talk about you real quick. And they're already making some moves on this staff to try and uh, improve themselves defensively. Obviously, have a new DC and Dan Lynn. We talk about Eric Henderson a fair amount on this show. I like where USC is headed overall. I think USC is in good shape. And uh, I'm curious to see where they end up at at the end of November with that over-under wind total at 7.5. Uh, Penn State will move quickly here. Their over-under is at 9.5. If you're Penn State, this is the year to break that 10-2 and two conversation, to no longer have to deal with that whole, oh, well, they're only going to win 10 games, and that's going to be who they are every year. Like, no Michigan on the schedule. No Oregon on the schedule. Their toughest games are Ohio State. We'll see what USC is. they got to go to L.A., they are top 25 in the country in returning production. Drew Aller, if he can improve a little bit more from what he was last year, his first year playing quarterback for Penn State, or being the starter for Penn State, rather, if they can be more explosive offensively, they got a really good backfield. Katron Allen, Nick Singleton, they're both back. Abdul Carter is a heat-seeking missile playing linebacker in State College. I think Penn State, if, if, there, was a, if there was a year to break that 10-2 stigma, I think there's a path to do it here with the schedule and with what they have on this roster. Because just so we're on the same page, uh, it's okay if we were all a little bit early on Penn State. Because last year you weren't sure what, uh, you know, what Ohio State was going to be with a new quarterback. And there was a lot of talk around Michigan and you know, the, the whole sign-stealing scandal. Would that throw them off their game? Penn, the Big Ten was, was still really freaking good last year. I'm just saying, don't be surprised if Penn State pops a year later than a lot of us thought they would. That nine and a half win total. We'll see what happens there. Last one I want to get to Washington there, seven and a half for their over under preseason win total. Very bizarre to see a team that played for a national championship have a win total right around eight to seven wins. This is a result, I think, of obviously being in a more difficult conference. That is the Big Ten. Also, they got hit pretty difficult with just the, the triple crown of the Saban ripple effect, losing their head coach. The NFL draft with Michael Penix Jr., Roma Dunze, and other pieces going to the league, and the transfer portal when they lost Kalen DeBoer. They bring back 19% of the production they had a season to go on offense. That is the lowest percentage in the country. New head coach, new quarterback in Will Rogers, who a guy that you know we're, quite frankly, pretty high on here on this show. Let's wait and see on Washington, but I just wanted us to touch on that number a little bit because they played for national title. Seven and a half. Seven and a half wins. A little bit bizarre to see, but hey, that's the world we're living in when it comes to college football. So get at me on social media. Let me know what uh, over-under win total intrigues you the most. Heck, feel free to call your shot as well in terms of uh, which win totals you think you got to feel for.
got an angle for it. Moving right along here. Again, make sure you like the video. It helps the algorithm for us, helps us boost uh, this show, boost this channel, and just get this out to more people. So thank you in advance for that. Alabama looking like they are zeroing in on an offensive coordinator. I don't believe this is final just yet. It might be by the, it might be by the time that you're seeing this video. A lot of thought around who Kalen DeBoer could end up hiring to be his OC. Would it be an outside hire? Kirby Moore was a name that got thrown around a lot. Uh, we personally were big fans of Kalen DeBoer saying, hey, listen, it's my, my, my turn, Michael Scott style, making himself to the OC. Nick Sheridan, his tight ends coach at Washington, his tight end coach currently at Alabama, looks like that's going to be the guy they roll with as a, their tight end coach, or as their offensive coordinator, rather, in Tuscaloosa. So we'll give you our thoughts on that here in just a second. Make sure you're subscribed right here. The On3 YouTube channel, this show, The Hard Count, we are live three times a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. We talk college football every single day. So make sure you're dialed in. We appreciate you for that. Roll party roll. All right. When I look at this hire for, uh, for Kalen DeBoer, if this is the way that he ends up going, this ends up being a thing that, uh, that gets finalized, this is really the, uh, the status quo kind of hire, right? This, this is the move that has the highest floor outside of naming yourself the offensive coordinator for Kalen DeBoer because you bring in an outside guy, you bring in a Kirby Moore, you bring in somebody else from somewhere else across the country. Maybe they have a strong resume, but there's always that, uh, that question mark of, well, how do they fit in our system? Well, how, how do they fit in how we do things? What do they bring to the table and how do they fit with our whole uh, way of doing things, our operation here in Tuscaloosa? That's a risk that you, you know, could have taken. Is that a risk you want to take your first year as the head coach in Tuscaloosa? I see the reason why you want it. Um, I really like the fact that there's some familiarity there. Like, I, as much as I would have loved to see Kalen DeBoer say, I'm taking matters into my own hands, pass me the sticks, I'm calling the offense for our first season. I like the fact that it's a guy who he has some familiarity with, a guy that he knows what he's getting, he knows they work well together, a guy with offensive coordinator experience. And to be honest, if he wasn't going to be the OC at Alabama, it was a matter of time before he was an OC somewhere else. A rising star in the industry, good for Kalen DeBoer making a, an internal hire here, making the high floor hire. Now let's not get it twisted. Just because Kalen DeBoer is not calling the plays in Tuscaloosa does not mean that Kalen DeBoer won't still have a massive influence on what gets called during the week and on how they practice and run the offense during the week. The way that it was explained to me, this is still going to be Kalen DeBoer's offense. This is still Kalen DeBoer's offense. Even, even if Ryan Grubb was still the offensive coordinator in Tuscaloosa, this would still be Kalen DeBoer's offense. So in that way, feel, uh, feel some confidence if you're an Alabama fan today that it's not going to be this total revamping of things. You're just kind of passing the sticks off to the next guy. Same system, same way of doing things. And honestly... The thing that I love the most about this hire, if I can't have Kalen DeBoer, at least I have someone who's played quarterback before calling the offense for me. Nick Sheridan calling the offense. Uh, a part of this that's reported is he's also going to work with the quarterbacks. So for me, the, the entire question mark around Alabama's success offensively in 2024 is the maturation and progress of Jalen Milrow. Because last year for Alabama, it's no secret, there were times where that offense looked pretty one-dimensional. A lot of that probably falls on the skill players, and you'll have to answer for that in this upcoming season. No way around it. But I think for Alabama as well, like Jalen Milrow being consistent as a passer is a very big factor in their success in 2024. How much can he take a step forward? How much can he progress? And he talked a lot to Jalen Milrow during the Rose Bowl about how it was really crucial for him to have an offensive coordinator in Tommy Reese who had actually played quarterback before 
who wasn't coming at this thing from a third-person point of view and saying, well, I think this is what I see on tape. It's like, no, no, he's played the position. He stood in those shoes. He knows what it's like being the guy back there, and he can actually speak that language with a little bit more certainty. So that was encouraging for me to see for Alabama, encouraging for me to see with Jalen Milrow, because Nick Sheridan, again, a lot of pressure here. Let's, let's not beat around the bush here. Just because you made an internal hire if you're Kalen DeBoer does not mean the pressure is turned down at all. We talked about the win total for them being at 9.5 going into the season. Maybe that's a little bit lower according to Vegas. The folks in Tuscaloosa, man, they don't care. They don't care. They are still expecting SEC titles, expecting national titles. Now you lose a lot from the year before production-wise, but Alabama actually from last year, they were at 125 returning production. They're at 115 this season. So we'll, we'll have more thoughts on this as soon as it goes final, obviously, but Nick Sheridan right now is trending towards being the next offensive coordinator in Tuscaloosa. How this will get announced, maybe it'll be a press release, maybe it'll be a Twitter bio change, I don't know, but as soon as we get more information, we will, of course, unpack it together right here on this platform. So Nick Sheridan, tight ends coach right now for Alabama, trending, though, towards being the next play caller and working with quarterbacks for Kalen DeBoer. I don't hate that, honestly. I don't hate that at all. I, I, again, I would have transparently loved to see Kalen DeBoer be the, be the next play caller. I would have loved to see him say, hey, listen, I'm taking matters in my own hands. If we succeed or we fail, it's on me. But I don't hate that. I don't hate the internal hire. I think that's not the, the worst way to go. Now, when you get at me on Twitter, and Josh says, Colorado hype, man, it is, it's, it's overrated. There, there's too much Colorado hype, uh, too much hypotheticals, and not enough results. If they finish 4-8 and eight or 3-9, and nine, the media will keep making excuses for Colorado. All right, so there's, there's a lot to unpack here. Now, I understand where you're coming from. I understand where you're coming from because for a minute there, that first three weeks of the season, everybody and their mama was saying, Dion this, Colorado that, Shador this. Are they going to make the college football playoff? And like, I think all of us kind of understood that wasn't probably really on the table for them long term. And if that was a thought after the first two weeks of the season, seeing them go back and forth to Colorado State, that third week of the season probably gave us a, a good gauge. I want us to get clear on this, though. Uh, we never predicted anything past 4-8 and eight for Colorado. All right, so like that, we, we did a whole win-loss, 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 which like doesn't have a ton of science to it, to be honest. There's a little bit of luck involved in that, but like we had Colorado going 4-8 and eight their first season. And to talk about hype for them, like Vegas had them, I believe, at 3.5 total wins. So talk about hype over under 3.5, it's, it's not – too, too much to ask for going into their first year. Now it's bumped up a little bit this upcoming season. I think the expectation for them to be successful for most realistic college football fans would be to make a bowl game. But going back to the thought around, well, there's too much hype. They're getting too much attention. They're overrated. Like, we're not overrating Colorado at at all. At all. Now they have a very big if factor because we're going to see what Shudor Sanders does. We're going to see how that new... uh, transfer portal class on the offensive line if that allows them to elevate a little bit the big 12 is shifting in terms of the new members like there is some variance and some question marks for us to you know talk about together here for the course of the next couple of months but I want us to be clear here we did not overhype Colorado we feel how we feel about coach prime in Colorado ton of impact and influence with every single thing that he does but like they were a four and eight football team last year and that was what we had him at in the preseason now I also want to say this as we always do with Deion Sanders there's always that factor that they could have uh have a little bit more juice with a positive move like 
I think what we saw last year in terms of media attention, yeah, it was attention and it was uh, stuff that maybe you can't quantify when it comes to winning football games, but that does help attract talent. Now, is, has it attracted the level of talent they need to to win what they want to win? Not just yet, but like, don't, don't get it twisted. Deion Sanders having success is more impactful than any other coach in college football for their respective teams. I'll rephrase that. Deion Sanders doing something positive for his team further benefits Colorado than it would if your standard FBS coach has success. Like, Deion Sanders can get more juice out of that, if that makes sense. And the reason people talk about Deion Sanders, it's not to, to overhype him. It's not to try and pump him up. Like, people talk about Deion Sanders because he's fascinating. Because as an NFL Hall of Famer, arguably the best defensive back to ever do it, and he is choosing to now coach college football and attracted one of the top recruits in the country to follow him to Jackson State, and now to Colorado and Travis Hunter. His son's an NFL quarterback. Like, there's a lot that's just straight up very, very interesting about Colorado. So I don't think people cover Colorado because they think they're going to win the national championship. People talk about Colorado because there's so much to talk about with them. There's so many things about Colorado we've never seen in college football before. We've never seen a coach go to the transfer portal and overhaul an entire roster overnight and try and change the game that way. I've never seen a coach really have a documentary series on himself the way that Coach Prime does. So yes, there's some things about it that I'm sure feel uh, a little bit overkill. I don't doubt that, but I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. People don't talk about Deion Sanders in Colorado because they're this incredible football team. They might end up being that, and that would help, I think, everybody, to be honest, when it comes to the media game. But like people talk about Deion Sanders because it's wildly, wildly fascinating and, quite frankly, something we've never seen before in college football. Now, I also want to, make this, uh, I want to make this very, very clear. Media in general, sports media specifically, is supply and demand. Like, we base what we talk about on this show, yes, very much so based on what's happening in college football, but we talk about what y'all want to talk about. Like, how many times have you heard me sit in this chair and say, hey, get at me on Twitter, get at me on Instagram, hey, subscribe to the channel, hey, like the video. I'm not doing that just because it helps us. It does, 100%. But for us, that's good data. That is a roadmap to what you want to talk about. And so the reason why you saw Deion Sanders popping up anywhere and everywhere last season was because people continued to provide demand for Deion Sanders, for Travis Hunter, for Jadur Sanders, for Colorado. So people are trying to supply to meet that demand. So if people are frustrated with the way the media is operating, according to Deion Sanders, I would say don't give the media what they want to hear. Don't give the media that uh, signal that says we want more Deion Sanders. Now, I understand there is a fraction of the college football fan bases, or college football public, rather, that didn't really want to hear about Deion Sanders and didn't really want to hear about what's going on there. Um, and some folks that were just new to college football because of Deion Sanders. And I think in some ways there's pros and cons to that. Another discussion for another time. The bottom line here is it's a supply and demand game, and there was a lot of demand for Deion Sanders. So people talk about Colorado being too much and Deion being too much and too much coverage. Like, it's fascinating. There's a, there's a demand for it. And just to revisit this, uh, we personally did not take part in the overhyping of Colorado based on what we had in the preseason. So we can, we can revisit that if we want to. We kept receipts. We can talk about it, but we personally feel like uh, feel like – we have a good gauge for Colorado, and if they win the Big 12 this year, we'll talk about them, and, and we'll talk about as much as you want to talk about them. So that's another reason to be subscribed, another reason to let us know how you feel about our content and about Colorado.
All right, let's move right along here. Uh, hard count meetings is something we did at the last studio um, for the better part of, I guess, I guess we've done this for the better part of the last month, month and a half, really since the regular season ended. And what this is, just so we're all on the same page here, a hard count meeting for us is the equivalent of an exit meeting, which happens across the country in college football at the end of every single season. We rephrased it, not, not calling it exit meetings anymore because that's just something that kind of sounds like people are getting fired. Uh, I want us to have a, so a, an exit meeting, a hard count meeting for us is just kind of taking inventory of a program and a coach and where they currently are in college football and kind of what needs to happen going forward and just kind of a, a state of the union, if you will. So let's take this hard count meeting all the way out to College Station, Texas, and have a, have a state of the union with what's going on with Mike Elko, the 12th man. Because Mike Elko, coming to College Station, when he got hired, we were fans of it. We were fans of it, and we're fans of it because we think it provides a lot of what Texas A&M needs in the long term. We'll talk more about that in a second. The current state of Texas A&M is extremely talented. Like, there's a lot made about how they've underachieved under Jimbo Fisher and about, you know, everything with uh, how their, their student section is and the traditions and, and all, you know, all these things around Texas A&M, and that's fine. But, like, at the end of the day, they have a roster in place that can really do some damage. Okay? Top 20 in returning production from a season ago is Texas A&M. Okay? So what Mike Elko is dealing with here is by no means an empty deck. All right, he's, he's got a lot of pieces here to do some really good things. Connor Wegman, I think, is set to be one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC, if not the country, next year, based on his talent and the way that he could trend. And with all that talent comes more expectations. Like, I also, I want to revisit this. I think people feel like A&M fans are a little bit entitled because they talk about competing for SEC championships and college football playoff appearances and all that. And there's some portion of the crowd that is saying, well, why? Why do y'all expect that? You haven't won anything in a minute here. Well, the more reasonable, I think, fan, the more reasonable college football mind would say, well, they expect that because of what they've put into it. The way that college football is structured right now, the care factor that you have can make the most impact than it ever has before across this sport. Like, if I'm giving to um, my, my school when it comes to helping NIL resources and facilities and whatever you want to talk about. If you're giving resources to your football team, you expect to get something out of that. A&M, they have a care factor that is as good as anywhere else in the country. And so with that care factor, again, comes expectations. If I have the right input, at some point in time, I'm going to expect the right output. And they haven't had the right output just yet. So you kind of look, look at the machine, pop the hood on that thing, Get a new head coach in there and Mike Elko. Okay, now we might be cooking here. And the reason why I'm so excited about A&M in 2024, we talked about it a little bit yesterday, but the problem with A&M has never been on paper with this roster. They've recruited well. Yes, the portal has hit them a little bit. That's fine. I still think they've got a really talented roster, one of the better rosters in the SEC. It's not a paper issue for A&M. And so if it's not a paper issue, where is the issue? If you're asking me, I think it's the most of or I think it's rather pointing back to getting the most out of what's on paper. Okay, so getting the most out of what's on paper, who does that fall on? Your coaching staff. Most notably, your head coach. And this isn't me throwing shade at Jimbo Fisher, but it didn't work the last couple of seasons. Mike Elko brings to the table a, rec a, a resume of doing more with less, a guy who is known for structure, known for culture. And if you provide the right structure to this roster at A&M, 
There's no telling what they could be. There's a reason that win total for them is right around eight and a half. Okay, they expect them to potentially do some really good things in 2024. So just so we're on the same page, uh, the expectations for AM not going anywhere. There is no resetting of the standard and saying, oh, well, it's year one, give, give, give him a second. There might be some patience when it comes to him putting it together. There is not going to be a resetting of expectations. Like six and six next year will not be anywhere near good enough for the folks in College Station. Going back to what I just said, the input and what they have on this roster is good enough to win now. Can Michael get it done? I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see. They're one of those teams now that could kind of pop out of nowhere where it's like, oh yeah, that was always there the whole time. They just had to put it together the right way. That's A&M in 2024. So I'm excited to watch them, man. They're one of the most, uh, I don't know if sneaky is the right word. Anytime you've been eight and a half preseason win total, I don't think you're sneaky, but I do think there's a lot to be excited about in College Station. A lot to be excited about. All right. In just a matter of moments, you're going to throw it over to uh, our keeper of the queue, Nick Brake and uh, unpack some of your questions, your college football thoughts, concerns, whatever it might be. Uh, before we get to that, though, it's Valentine's Day. There's love in the air. And when, it, when there's love in the air, yes, it's a romantic holiday, but how can you not be romantic about college football? And so with that being said, I want us to talk about, just very, very briefly, some things that we love when it comes to the college football landscape and college football in general, right? So get at me in the chat, get at me in the comment section, let me know what you love about the sport. First thing I love about college football, man, fall Saturday mornings. Now, fall Saturdays is probably too much of a cop-out basic answer. I love waking up on a Saturday morning and turning on my TV and hearing a Reese Davis monologue at full throat over a, I don't know, a couple thousand screaming college fans that have been there overnight, college students rather, that have been there overnight waiting around the game day desk for their chance to be behind the, you know, the screen for a couple of minutes. Like that, that is... That is one just like awesome in college football at its finest. Two, the fact that you turn on your TV, you look at the guide and see what you have on the, on the schedule for the next, uh, I don't know, 12 hours, and it's just college football after college football. That noon window, you get some good games. There's usually at least one or two. That 3.30 window, it's stacked, and then you have a huge game at night. Like The way that a college football Saturday morning just presents an entire buffet of what we love the most about this sport. And it starts with that very, very familiar and distinct, uh, you know, sound that is the Reese Davis monologue. Especially in the fall, like October, early November, that, that crisp air when you walk outside, have your game day coffee, whatever your game day routine is, Chick-fil-A breakfast for yours truly. I love that. I absolutely love that. Another thing we love about college football, the buzz in a pregame stadium, or the buzz pregame in a stadium when there's that, uh, that hype video playing on the video board. And we've been fortunate to go to a couple of these venues and see these in person. Y'all, the creative teams at these respective universities, I don't know how much they're making, double whatever they're making. Like the, the, the masterpieces, the cinematic masterpieces they put together and grab you by the throat, grab you by the heartstrings and get you fired up to go get, get after it for 60 minutes. Much less if you're a player. If you're a fan, you are frothing at the mouth after watching Clemson's pre, uh, pregame hype video, watching Ohio State's pregame hype video. Um, who else did we see this year that was awesome? Tennessee's was unbelievable. Some of them have it specific for different games, but like the, the, the amount of juice that you have coursing through your veins after watching one of those cinematic masterpieces for a good two and a half to three minutes with the entire stadium just pulsing in your chest, like that is... 
That is special stuff. Absolutely love that about college football. One more thing here, rivalries. Like, I understand other sports have rivalries. You know, the NBA has got Lakers and the Celtics. Um, Major League Baseball has the Red Sox and Yankees. You got, you got Cowboys, Eagles, I suppose, if you're an NFL fan. But, like, rivalry weekend in college football specifically the amount of just emotion baked into that weekend and that Saturday, it's unlike anything else, not just in sports, but like unlike anything else in the world. Because it's post-Thanksgiving, more often than not, maybe you have your game on Thanksgiving. Shout out Egg Bowl. We love the Egg Bowl. But like that is a day, or a weekend rather, a game more specifically, that you talk about for 364 days. That is the game that you and your cousin or you and your brother-in-law or heck, maybe even you and your brother, maybe you and your spouse, shout out Valentine's Day. That is the game that will determine bragging rights for the next 12 months. Like there, there, is, there is some very, very high stakes, not just financially for some folks on the line, but just at the very least like a pride standpoint. That's going to dictate how you feel seeing the, the extended family at, at Christmas or seeing whoever it is on their birthday. The next time you meet up with that guy from accounting because he likes the other school that you don't like. Like that, that bragging rights thing, that's, that's unlike anything else in, in sports. And I love that so much. I think that's absolutely phenomenal. So those are a couple of the, the, uh, the things that we love about college football. Y'all, we could do a full hour-long show on this topic, to be real, but those are some things that I wanted us to just touch on, kind of enjoy when it comes to Valentine's Day and college football. So we love college football. You love college football. We're glad to have you here. Roll, party, roll. Hey, speaking of love, someone that you love, Man of the program, man of the people. Heavy lifter, Nick Break. Nick, what's up over there, baby? How we doing? Pretty good. Um, JD, got a, a couple of good questions and people saying what they love about uh, college football. But this first one from King Epic 676 is pretty interesting. It says, if Dion has a few successful years as a head coach, which obviously you can take success, can mean a lot of different things. Sure. Do you think he is making a case for the greatest sports career of all time? Dude. Checked a lot of boxes. Uh, yeah, I mean... Checked a lot of boxes. Yeah. Sports career, that's a, that's a really broad term because, like, I guess you'd call him the greatest defensive back of all time. I don't think that's a stretch. But I'm talking about sports careers, and that's just a whole new, like, just field he competes against. Like, we're talking about Patrick Mahomes, who, who knows what happens with him. We're talking about Tom Brady and all his Super Bowl rings. We're talking about Michael Jordan. Like, maybe he's... Maybe he's one of the most well-rounded sports careers. I don't think that's too much of a stretch. But I, I would have a hard time right now, un until he wins like a national championship, then we can maybe get a little bit deeper into that water. But I, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Let's, let's pump the brakes and just enjoy the Dion phenomenon that is going on right now. Yeah, absolutely. He is the greatest DB of all time, G. I don't think that's a stretch at all. Um, Ferris Khan says, JD, how much does the band pump you up before the game? I love hearing them warming up in the morning and marching before they get into the big house. Dude, the, the drum line of a marching band, that's how you know it's about to go down. And that could be college football. That could be high school football. Nick, I would wake up in the morning, and we lived, I want to say, like a quarter mile away from a high school. I would wake up on Friday mornings, the day we had a game, and hear the drum line, and I'm like, oh, it's, it's go time. Like, that, like, that's how you know it's about to get rolling. That and the smell of popcorn, those two things really kind of get, get the juices flowing a little bit. But, yeah, the sound of a band, man, that's another one that we probably should have added to our list. That is absolutely sensational, without question. 
Um, we got another comment here from Ferris. I think this is good because I, I like talking about Rutgers. He says, go over Rutgers' schedule and explain how this 7-6 and six team last year beat Miami, lost three games last year, were, or lost three games to Ohio State, Michigan, and, and Penn State. Don't have – this guy, I'm kind of dry reading – don't have to play. Oh, he just retracted the message. He has. He had a uh, fragment. Hey, um, Rutgers is top just talk ten. Just talk about Rutgers. Rutgers top ten in returning production. Nick. Yeah. Seventy four percent. So there's a there's some meat on the bone there for Rutgers. Um, the, the tough part with with Rutgers is like they were already sort of a middle of the pack Big Ten team, and now you add in the fact that you got to play. You know, let's just let's just let's go through Rutgers schedule here really quick. Nick, I'm pulling it up. Rutgers will start the year with Howard. They play Akron. Okay, so they start out 2-0. You go to Virginia Tech. That's not an easy non-conference game. Virginia Tech, if you were wondering, number one in returning production. I actually like the Hokies a lot this year. They play Washington. No big deal. They actually just played for a national championship. Now, they don't bring back a lot, so we'll see what that looks like. Got to go to Nebraska. You play Wisconsin at USC. have a bye week, and then you play Minnesota at Maryland, Illinois, at Michigan State. So, I don't think it's unrealistic to think that they could be a, a team that goes bowling, but just the way that the uh, the Big Ten is shifting over the course of the next couple of years going to make for uh, some tricky games for our folks in Piscataway. Now, they play UCLA, Washington, USC. No organ for them on the schedule this year, but three of the four new teams in that conference will uh, play the, uh, the Scarlet Knights. So we'll see. We'll yep. see on records. I, I think they're probably still that middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team. Yeah, and of course, her quarterback played the same high school football team as me. <laughs> there you go. Gavin Wimsett. Yeah. Okay. Um, Good genes. Good bloodline. Oh, yeah. Good absolutely. Lineage. Ferris says, sorry, you picked my comment while I was fixing the typo. That's definitely the first time I've been reading something on air, and it just disappeared, like the message got retracted. Um, so that's a pretty interesting first. A little magic trick. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Jared says, J.D., which of the group of five teams in your mind is the team that will make the 12-team playoff? Probably lean to lane right now. The tricky part is, like, I maybe would have said SMU a year ago. SMU's in the ACC now. Like, SMU is probably going to be in, in that – I, I shouldn't say probably. SMU coming off a double-digit win season. I think a really well-kept secret at quarterback. Rhett Lashley's going to be up for a lot of big-time jobs around this time next year. I'll lean to lane right now. We'll see what they are in 2024, but I'll lean to lane right now. Uh, OG Gary says, do you think a salary cap of $1 million is doable in college football? Also, do you think transfer fees are going to become a thing going forward? Meaning if a GA uh, wants a player, if wants player X, they'd have to pay the school one, X a million amount of dollars to buy out. If all of that's the case, Jade, I don't think $1 million is going to cut it for a salary cap. $1 million is, uh, yeah, I think we might need to bump that up quite a bit. One million is like a good quarterback, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's yeah. a pretty that's a, that's a pretty petty. Um, Ryan Day went on the record, I think, a year ago, and said he needs thirteen million to keep his roster intact, yeah. much less to go after new talent. So I, I've said a few times here, I am I am not pro salary cap. I think if you if you want to any up and you want to come to the table and, and pay for uh, the roster you want, like more power to you, more power to you. Yeah. I don't know, J.D. That's really, I don't know. There's a lot of confusing elements there that I just yeah. don't know enough yeah. about. And frankly, I don't have to really know about because 
you know, I'm not the one in the NCAA making those calls. So yeah. Good for me. Thank goodness. Um, yeah, Thank goodness I really am no, no, quite no. no. Well, I'm quite happy that that is not my job. What do you say, JD? I think it's. I think it's. A, it's a, Although a I'm lot of might be pe- going away anyway at, at some point soon. You know. Yeah, I, know, I know. Well, I mean, there are a lot of people in this chat who did coin you as a potential uh, candidate for a commissioner of the college which football. Which is very kind of them. Yeah. Which is very kind of them, and also a little bit irresponsible of them as well, <laughs> which, which I 100 percent appreciate. Yeah, 100% absolutely appreciate that. J.D., this is something we've been talking about a lot the last couple of days. Um, Apex says, what's Chip Kelly's Achilles heel as an offensive play caller? As a play caller, that's going to be interesting. I mean, his Achilles heel would be that he doesn't really love recruiting, from what we can tell. So that's one thing where you're like, is this going to be a long-term thing, being the OC in Columbus? Is this going to be a thing where you're there for more than just this season after flirting with the NFL this past season? You know, remains to be seen. Um you know, I think things still to be determined because what I understand, it's going to be sort of a blend of Ryan Day's system along with Chip Kelly's system. So I don't know that it'll be totally what we saw, you know, at UCLA or much less what we saw with him at Oregon. There'll be some variations mixed in there. I don't know if I see an Achilles still right off the bat, Nick. That's something we're going to have to wait and see on. Yep, absolutely. Um, Richie Dub says no salary cap in Major League Baseball has killed baseball. I'd go to the opposite and I say uh, no, or a too small a salary cap in Major League Soccer is oh, the reason go. why nobody takes it seriously. Um, well, there you go. So, so let's talk a little bit about the college football playoffs. Uh, Jared said, which conference do you think will be best represented in the 12-team format? T. Shaw says SEC would be potentially, you know, you could get Georgia, LSU, Tennessee, Ole Miss, maybe Bama. J.D., we've already talked about the Big Ten potentially sending three teams. If you had to guess right now, which of those two is going to send the most? Ooh. Who has the most playoff caliber teams? You look at how who plays yeah. who in those games. That's tricky. You know what? Today, I'll, I'll go Big Ten today because I think mm-hmm. Ohio State, I think Oregon, I think Penn State's got a really workable path. Mm-hmm. Michigan will be in the mix. Um, I'm just, I'm not sure how the SEC is going to shake out if they're all just going to just absolutely get after each other. I don't know about Alabama right now with Kalen DeBoer. I think they'll be in good shape. I don't know what that looks like when it comes to the playoff. Um, Ole Miss got a lot of expectations, but we're, we're not 100% sure how that'll look in the, in the new SEC. Um, I think Texas and Georgia are probably the two you feel best about. Mm-hmm. I could see them both sending three. Not to sit on the fence here, but I could see them both sending three teams, two champions, two at-large bids. And so we have right around half of the playoff field. We have exactly half the playoff field at that point made up of, uh, of those two power conferences. Okay, J.D., this end off really quick by talking a little bit about Dylan Riola, um, who <laughs> T. Shaw called, this is an interesting one, Dylan Re- Ravioli, uh, got that name. It's I fresh. guess Yeah, that's an interesting uh, diss. Uh, but he, he was just talking about how I, I think it's crazy that Nebraska's win total is that high. Um, with a guy like him playing quarterback, he's too new, doesn't see a ceiling. A lot of people were talking against that, saying they really think that he, he even as a freshman, will come in and make a difference. J.D., if he's the starter, which all likelihood he's going to be, um, and we already talked about this a little bit, do you think he can carry Nebraska to the win total that they have set, which is what, 7.5? 7.5 is the win total preseason for them. Yeah, I mean, I see where you're coming from, and I honestly, I, I would probably agree in the sense that, like, hey, he's, he should be at prom right now. Like, he, he's on campus already getting rolling with his new team, and he, if he gets the keys to the offense, will be very, very raw. And that's not a bad thing, but I, but I do think it's fair to, like, 
have a little bit of leniency with making a definitive opinion on Dylan Raiola. Give him some time, allow him to get his feet wet, allow him to make some mistakes and learn what it's like being a college football quarterback. But at the exact same time, Nebraska, again, woulda, shoulda, coulda. They were in position. They did not. They were in position to win 10 games last year. They lost five by one score. Now, with that being said, their quarterback play across the board last year was not good. Was not good. They went through three different quarterbacks, um, did not have a ton of success with any of them, to be honest. If you just get better quarterback play, better slash more stable quarterback play, Nebraska will be very, very close to that eight-win mark. I think they'll make a bowl game. I feel good about saying that. I think this is the year, but if they can just get stable slash better quarterback play and give them some help, they're going to be in good position because that defense is awesome. Mm-hmm. That run game is good. Matt Rule's a dog. Like I, I, I love a lot about that. So I, I just hope he sticks it out in, in Nebraska, man, because that could be a really cool project. Um, I'm all here for it. Yep, me too. I'm here for it. Good yeah, stuff. Well, Nick, what do you say? Same time tomorrow? Same time tomorrow. Happy ha- Valentine's Day. Hey, happy Valentine's Day, brother. <laughs> happy Valentine's Day. Yes, sir. Hey, appreciate everybody tuned in live. Same time tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern. Who knows what will be new. Maybe Alabama will have their coordinator finalized. Uh, we'll have some more win totals for you. We'll talk about the ACC. Also working on getting some uh, some head coach interviews locked in for you. So make sure you subscribe. Let us know what you want to see because like we talked about on the show already today, uh, it is a supply and demand kind of business, a supply and demand kind of show. We love y'all. We appreciate y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling, and we will see y'all next time. is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. 
Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.